Good morning, Cocalico Community Church. Good morning. Good morning. I see the look on some of your faces. It's a look of bewilderment and amazement. Uh, you're wondering who this guy is. I saw the same look from my mom whenever I would bring a, uh, a report card home. She would look at that and just be like, what in the world? I, I need to introduce myself quickly to you. My name is Roddy Hanna. Uh, I am new on staff here. I've been on staff for a grand total of two weeks, really, if you want to look at it that way. You guys win the award for uh, a round of applause. You beat the first hour handily. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, for those of you who are just starting your journey or just visiting for us for the first time today, I want to welcome you. And if you have any questions about what you may see or experience uh, here today, feel free to look up me or uh, one of the other pastors uh, will be around or someone that looks like they know what they're doing. And we'll be glad to talk to you any way we can. Uh, also, I would like to personally thank those of you who helped our move to the area uh, be so successful and smooth. Uh, it was very encouraging for our family uh, when we opened up a, uh, at home, we got a whole bunch of gift cards from all of you. Uh, my kids do not know this yet, they will find out right now, but we have several ice creameries that you gave us that uh, will be used and we appreciate that. Helping us transition to the area, we appreciate that a lot. Uh, we are coming towards the end. We ended a series last week. For the last nine weeks, we were talking about never forget. And uh, we were bringing that to an ending, and as John was processing this and figuring out how do we move forward in the idea of never forget, what helps us never forget? And we decided, John decided, I use we a lot, but John decided at that point that we would talk about the idea of practice. And let's think a little bit about practice. Uh, I, I enjoy baseball. Ted Williams, uh, who was a baseball player back in the 40s and 50s, uh, he was known as the natural hitter. He was approached by a, a journalist who said to him, Ted, how, how are you so good? Why, why are you, where'd your natural ability come from? And his response was critical. His response was simple. There's no such thing as a natural born hitter. I put in the hard work and I practiced continually. I practiced continually. It's interesting. If you want to think about practice, if I wanted to be good at something, if I wanted to uh, be a good cook, I would practice cooking. Uh, if I wanted to be a good ballerina, I would practice ballet, uh, which will never happen. And so these are the things. You put the work in, you become better at something. You can, but if you put the work in the wrong things, you can become better at the wrong thing. Uh, so for the next four weeks, a lot of the times the questions is asked, what do I practice in order to grow vertically in my relationship with God and horizontally with my relationship with people? For the next four weeks, we're going to unpack some of those things as we move ahead. Uh, we were able to bring in J.R. Mann from San Diego, California. Interesting, Ted Williams was from San Diego, just so you know. You can use that now. Uh, so J.R. Mann from San Diego, California, he's not a stranger to our stage. He's been here before. Uh, you may remember that J.R. spoke to uh, us about uh, pornography and the impacts of pornography on a culture, on a church, on us personally, on our families uh, several months ago. Uh, so he's one of the founding members of Triple X Church, triplexchurch.com. If you've never heard of it, you should look it up. Uh, a great resource uh, for, for us as we approach this issue of pornography as it impacts all of our lives. But he was one of the founding members of that group. Not only that, he has 25 years of experience in media and different media markets. Namely, one of them that would be familiar to you would be Time Warner, an executive producer for Time Warner. So that's one you may remember. But God works in the way that he works, and he's led J.R. towards this idea of being a spiritual director. Uh, it was mentioned earlier that he works for Tabletop Ministries. 
or he's the founder, he's the creator of that, and uh, his goal is to passionately help people engage in the Trinity and help them understand how God works in their lives, what the next logical step would be, and he has done a great job, first hour, I heard the first hour, of communicating how this takes place in our lives. Uh, he left at home, he left his, his wife and three kids, they adopted a family unit, I'll let him speak a little bit more about that, but uh, as we have JR come to the stage, let's give him a round of applause. Let's hear it for Roddy. Come on, Roddy. Who, who has? He's not that great. I'm just kidding. When I was a kid, it was Roddy Rowdy Piper. You've never heard that. Well, you're going to hear it a lot today. Remember, this is a dude that wore a kilt. Who? WWE, right? Is it WWE? Yeah, so Roddy Roddy Piper, Hulk Hogan. Anybody help me out? Another one? Andre the Giant? Undertaker. Weird you know that. She's like right away, Undertaker. Um, my kids are, well, my boys, my 12 and my 14-year-old boys, and then I have a 17-year-old girl, but the boys like, were introduced to wrestling via the cable. And this is in light. I mean, talk about spiritual transformation. This is like, you know, the whole day was spent doing that. And then the rest of the afternoon was spent wondering, was it real? Is it real? I'm like, yes, it's all real. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, how's everybody doing? Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. The first service, I got to tell you, the people, you're lucky you're here. I'm just kidding. I love the first service people. Um, so there's a box up here, so I, I'm, I can't go here, right? Because the, the people are shooting me, and they're like, no, what are you doing? Um, did you all see John's foot, Pastor John's foot? That's what happens when you make Jer mad. No? Not a good joke there? Not a good, I told him, I was like, because, you know, he had, some, he had some situation with his foot. I said, make something up, like a bobcat attacked you or something like that. Like, be that guy, that pastor guy. Yeah, it was that hunting bobcat, and, you know. Uh, are there Bobcat Lancaster County or no? No, nothing? Nothing. Lancaster, what did I say? I said, so it's Lancaster? Lancaster. Lancaster. <laughs> Stay right there. Don't move. When I get to Hebrew, I'm going to need you even more. Um, so last time I was here, John didn't take me to Shady Maples because it's Shady Maple. And it's one tree, not many. And, and, and it's like, did you know this? There is, you walk, what? I walk in like, this is, what? There's three stations. And it's like, what? I, I was so, I'm never going back. <laughs> I told this one guy I was with who took me another pastor. Um, and I said, this is the weirdest thing because the more time I have now visiting, the more time I have away from Shady Maple, hey, hey, me, Maple, the, the more afraid I am to go back. <laughs> so I let it click, let it click. And by the way, there's couches in the bathroom. <laughs> What's going on at Shady Maple? All right. <laughs> I'll stop being a jerk. Um, by the way, Roddy's, one of Roddy's, Mark, right? Is it Mark? Where's Mark? You're a jujitsu guy, right? 
All right, so that's good to know. So I was really killing Roddy the first service, and then a guy comes up to me in the hallway and says, yo, you realize one of his sons is like a, you know, a jiu-jitsu guy. I'm like, so here I'm thinking that the son's 6'5". You know, like there's, he looks like the undertaker. And then he comes up, and, he, and, and he's like, can you keep doing that to my dad? I'm like, oh. Do we even talk about what I'm going to talk about or no at this point? Okay, spiritual transformation. So I'm a spiritual director. What is a spiritual director, you weirdo? Only people in California are called spiritual directors. Uh, Yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, I help people hear God. I help people walk through seasons in their life. Um, I was one of the guys that helped Triple X Church get started. I wrote a book in 2006-07 called Starving Jesus. Um, the premise of the book, if, if you're fascinated, is all about getting out of here and going out there and doing things. Um, and uh, I started Tabletop Ministries. Thank you for, for mentioning that. You go to jrman.com. You can see all that stuff. Basically, the nonprofit that I started uh, is all about spiritual direction. We help people get to spiritual direction who normally don't have an outlet to get to spiritual direction. So the American church is wonderful and great, and we love the American church, uh, but there are, it turns out, people who don't go to the American church. Weird. Um, And so my hope is that through Tabletop, um, we bridge the gap a little bit and help people that are already in in, in walk with Christ and walk walk with God, the Trinity, um, and we help have bigger conversations and and then maybe lead them uh, into a larger community. So that's what I do. I do that all the time. I have three kids all adopted. That's insane. We can talk about that later. I'll talk a little about them as we go. My wife and I, 24 years married. Um, She is the best part of my life. Hands down. That's it. I say that because I know I'm being recorded. (laughs) See, they got to hear the laughter in the mic or else that, or else at home they're like, they get you, dude, and you're a jerk. (laughs) All right, so transformation transformation. I'm going to talk about transformation. I'm going to talk why, why do we have such a hard time with transformation and then some of the practices that are involved with transformation. The biggest thing, the one point, every pastor who speaks on Sunday has got three points. I have like a lot. I have but one big one. One big one. Perfection is not our goal. Perfection is not our goal. It's progress rather than perfection. That's the, maybe that's the best sentence. It's progress. rather than, That's the main goal of what we do as a faith. As a people who love God, or as a people who are falling in love with God. Those three kids I got, I didn't love them right away. What? Wait, whoa, slow down. You're supposed to. I didn't. They didn't love me right away. It took us time and attachment and formation and transformation to love one another. And now 10 years later, yeah, there's a joke line there. And 10 years later, I love them like you wouldn't believe. I really do, seriously. And I hope they love me. Um, but that's, trans- that's transformative understanding. And at my dinner table, that's the way it's talked about. Like, really, when you throw strangers together like that, you don't just, hey, okay, I love you. Here we go. Happy days. Woo. No, it's transformative understanding. So it's progress rather than perfection. That's the main point today. So if you're, I don't care what you're struggling with, whether it's addictive processes over here, or financial stuff here, relationship-ish here, it doesn't matter. We're all in the act of transforming, and I'm not even going to say better. I'm not even going to put a metric on it. Let's be better. I'm not going to do that. I don't want opposition there. I'm just saying we're all transforming in the love of the Trinity, the love of the Trinity. And for the record, when I say transformation in the love of the Trinity, I'm talking about all of us together. All of us are together on the journey 
on the journey. So transformation, it's, this is a, there's a couple different, there's a real easy way. So in, in Hebrew, it's, it's literally meaning to turn or overturn, right? There's a, there's a turn in your life. You're overturning something to newness, right? In the Greek, we hit the word metamorpho, metamorphosis. And you see this, right? Everybody gets that. I told the first of us, like, I was in a book study for like a month and a half or so, and what I wasn't told about the book study was it going to be all women, because my wife is funny that way, and, um, and uh, it was this, this book, it, it was, constantly through the book was this, this whole process of metamorphosis, right? Caterpillar in a butterfly. So I'm weird, and I like to study stuff that I'm going to talk about, so I scientifically wanted to know a little bit about the cocoon deal. Like, what's going on there? Like, does the, does, the, does the caterpillar get it? Like, when the caterpillar's caterpillaring in the world, is it like, <laughs> I've got this thing I've got to do on that branch later, so I'm working myself there. Like, what is that? And so then I got to think, well, how does it anchor, and what is it? And, there's, and seriously, I'm not going to give it a breakdown, but I want to get to the one part of the cocoon that fascinated me. So when they're in the cocoon, in that little thing that sticks up that looks like, kind of like a burned-out French fry right there that you'd find at Shady Maples... Um, <laughs> in that uh, scientists say that what happens inside of the cocoon is gruesome and they use the word gruesome not my idea of what happens with the butterfly thing I'm thinking like Mariah Carey song and like you know oh, you know like I, I'm doing this with my understanding and inside of this cocoon is actually some gruesome stuff going on between chemical process physical Physical, trans- physical transformation, because look, it was that, and now it's that. That's, that's something, right? So they say it's gruesome. So our life, our life, you and me, our humanity, good, bad, and ugly, can be gruesome. It can be gruesome. These three adopted kids I have come from one of the most horrid abuse stories you'll ever hear. It's horrible. Even there's times today when they're debriefing their experience with me. I don't have a lot to say because it's just so horrifying. Gruesome. Gruesome. And even in the joy, sometimes it's gruesome. Wait, what do you mean? Sometimes in the joy it's gruesome. Well, because true joy, true understanding of joy has to include sorrow and grief. Or else you wouldn't get it. Or else you wouldn't get it. And then flip sorrow and joy and it's the same way. Without sorrow, we wouldn't understand joy. Without joy, we wouldn't understand sorrow. And so I'm looking at that, and I see that, and the big thing I want to get today, again, it's progress rather than perfection. When that thing comes out, there's a step actually missing in there, so whoever did the graphic is fire, but there's a little step that we don't see, that some we do. Who has kids in here that that have done the cocoon thing? You ever done this? Okay, good. So you know, right? So what happens is that butterfly, that caterpillar butterfly emerges and kind of sits on the cocoon for like an hour. I did this in the backyard. Super impatient. Let's go. Like, you know, we're wait, we're like, oh, five months. No. And it's waiting. And it's taking its time. And it's getting used to its wings. And when it first takes off, it's like drunk with butterfly caterpillarness, And it's going through the air, and then it kind of disappears behind the hedge. But for the record, when it fl- flies away, it takes some of its caterpillarness with it. With it. Some of its caterpillarness 
It takes with it. Like in this picture, some of the same colors are there. Right? That's us. We come to Christ. We come to the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have something that happens inside of us. And again, I don't know how you got here. Maybe you got here through gruesomeness. Maybe you got here through joy. I'm not sure. But every single one of us, every single one of us, as we emerge into Christ, as we get into Jesus, as we get into the Trinity, we emerge and become new. But we still drag some of our caterpillarness with us. It's true. Go to Paul for me on the, on the big slides. Who's back there today? That's wonderful. Thank you. Who's doing that? Is this doing that? Thank you very much for that. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.16. Here's Corinth, the city. A guy named Paul who writes the majority of the New Testament was a really cool dude. He had a lot going on. He was a very huge scholar of the law at the time, and Jesus stopped him, transformed him, is the, is, the, is the short version of the story. You can read it if you want in the Bible. But he had a radical, radical transformation that set him new. So now he's traveling to cities, spreading the gospel, the good news of liberation from self, of freedom from self, all due because of this wonderful God that we have that is in love with his creation, Genesis 1, he loves us, he likes us, he thinks what he made is wonderful for the record. So Corinth is the city just like Los Angeles, just like New York City. Reminds me of downtown Lancaster. Lancaster. It is alive and rich with human shenanigans. There's cafes, there's money, it's a port city, there's all kinds of greed happening, there's great restaurants, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's pagan worship, and in, in pagan worship they would appease the body if that's what you needed, let your imagination run wild. It was crazy. And Paul goes there to start liberating. Right? He goes there to liberate. I mean, that's, that's smart. That's smart. And he travels back and then there's a couple letters. So there's one and two. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Some historians say there was a third letter, and it's known in theological circles as the harsh letter. I'm like, can I read that? Because think about it. He's writing to them because he's heard shenanigan stories about the church that he started. But Paul doesn't write the letter controlling people's behavior. Listen carefully. Paul's not behavior cop. Paul's not in charge of Christianity Behavior 101. And now he's going to write them and slap them on the hand and say, you bad people, humans, who shouldn't be allowed. What's wrong with you? Instead, he writes them a letter filled with love based on the liberation and freedom that God has given him and God has given the world. So here we go, we'll carve in. This is Paul to these wonderful people embroiled in all kinds of shenanigans. I like when I say shenanigans. It's just a fun word. It's not like Lancaster. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. No one's attached to the world anymore. There's a spiritual understanding there, a non-opposition, a non-duality. We're not locking people to whatever it is they're entrenched in, embroiled in, and from and to. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now remember, the Jews at the time that Jesus showed up, Jesus was, was going to be king. This guy was going to get rid of the Romans and liberate them from the oppression of the Romans. The Romans were killing people and taxing people and controlling every aspect of their society at the time. And they're like, well, Jesus is going to take care of that. And then Jesus did this whole thing, hey, love your enemies. And they're like, wait, what? 
So there's a liberation. The Jews starting to understand that this Jesus who's walking the planet is really talking about love. He's really talking about transformation. He's really talking about progress rather than perfection. This is Paul talking to us, everybody. Not guided in a behavioral exercise, but guided in the essence of who the Trinity is, which is love for us. Love for us. Next one for me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and in Christ, that's pretty easy. We can do a whole Bible study on that. But in Christ is mean, you know, you've moved in. You've transformed in some way. At some level, you've moved in. You've started the journey to faith and the carving out of what brought you here today. What brought you here today. He says, the new creation, and we've heard this a million times, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. What is the new? What is the new? Is it just behavior? When I, when I said my prayer in 1985, February 18th, 7.14 at night, I know, what? What does that guy remember in this time for, weirdo? It was such a, transform, a transformative time in my life. Something happened to me inside, and it was a little bit of a consciousness and a little bit of awareness there was something bigger than me. At that time, I wasn't transformed ED. I didn't come up, say the prayer, and then walked out there and I was perfect and all my behavior was great. I stopped cussing, doing donuts, and smoking pot. I actually did start, stop smoking pot. I take that back. My point is, is I was in the act of transformation. A new consciousness, a new awareness of who was in charge, of what the idea of love was. When I was a kid, I used to believe in Santa Claus. Pretty hardcore. Hardcore. Like, man, I remember, I grew up in Rochester, New York, right? So not too far from y'all. Y'all. <laughs> and I can remember it snowing and me looking out the window, trying to find Santa Claus through the snow. But as I progressed and transformed and became new in consciousness and new in awareness as a five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old child, it occurred to me that my mom and dad were Santa Claus. And thank God they were continuing to bring the presents. But my awareness and consciousness changed. It became new. The new is the understanding of love. The new is not behavioral modification and transformation. So when we get to practice, what we want to practice is that understanding. What we want to practice is our engagement of Trinity and our engagement of the community that we're in. Those two things have got to have a transformative understanding. I'm good with that. Thank you very much back there. Put that wonderful chrysalis up. I'm going to bring out my glasses. I'm 50. It's okay. Roddy, you're getting there, so relax. Who's, who's wearing glasses now that they're, a little, that they're 50? Yes, oh man. Let's talk later because I need a better pair. <laughs> Simon Peter. Simon Peter, I want to demonstrate who you are in the Bible through Simon Peter. I want you all to know that for years I read, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrong because I didn't get who Simon Peter really was. So as a kid, I'd follow one of my buddies to Catholic Mass, and I loved it, and it was wonderful, and I'd sit in the back, by you all good people back there, yo to the back row, and there was a stained glass window of Paul on the back, 
At first, I was like, that's cool, man. How does a dude get his own window? That's rad. And he had this cool hair. It looked like he had the right product in it. And he had, he had a robe, and it was red, and it had a sash. I don't know what he did with the sash, but it's why I now wear a summer scarf in California. And, and then he had, uh, I don't know if he had, like, sandals on, but he looked rad, man. And I'm telling you, every time the sun hit that guy, I was like, that's a holy dude. There's nothing wrong with that guy, and that's why they put him up there. And then I started to investigate Simon Peter as me. Simon Peter as transforming. Simon Peter as guy who needed Trinity. And it occurred to me that this guy is full of shenanigans. Like, like why, what is he doing in the Bible? What's he doing in the Bible, this guy? First off, he's got two names. What? Two names? So he's got a given name from his family, and then Jesus named him too. So it was very, very common, and still is very common, to get two names in this society that we're talking about right now. You would get a given name, and then you would get a name that was new to you in transformation, in spiritual transformation, a new step into life, Simon Peter. So if you read through the Gospels, you can see Jesus call him Simon, and sometimes call him Peter, and then sometimes call him Simon and Peter. I wasn't reading the Bible like that, though. I was reading the Bible based on my behavior. What am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? Remember, no donuts, smoking pot, or cussing in the parking lot. That's the way I was reading the Bible. It's Simon Peter who recognizes Christ for the first time. Who am I? And Simon Peter steps up and goes, yep, this bold, he's bold, man. He's like, yeah, you're Jesus. And Jesus is like, all right, you're blessed. Hey, by the way, you, dude, I'm going to have you build the church. I'm going to have you take everything that I do and put a church all over the planet, including right here. The guy I'm about to tell you put this church right here, and it's amazing. Jesus says in one of his, uh, he's talking about he, he must leave. So he's telling his disciples internally, hey, just so you guys know, I've got to go because there are bigger things than actually me here right now about to happen. You imagine? And, and at the time, these disciples were, were married to Jesus. They had left their people for Jesus, left their jobs for Jesus. And Jesus is traveling around with not a lot of cash, a little bit of food here and there, and the hospitality of some folks as he landed from town to town. And now he's like, I'm leaving. And imagine all the campfires they had and all the meals that they had and all the conversation they had about family, friends that they're missing. Imagine all that stuff. And then Simon Peter steps forward and says, what are you talking about? You're not going anywhere. Protecting his own safety, protecting his own security, protecting his own value. He's like, no, you're not leaving. You're not going anywhere. Bold. This guy was bold. And then Jesus turns around and doesn't you know, pat him on the shoulder or pat him on the head or hog him. He's like, shh, get behind me, Satan. Satan, imagine you hang out with your best friend for a few years, your best friend, and you make a mistake like that and you get called out like that. That's got to hurt in some way. So I always go to like, what's the Bible not telling us? And I imagine the fire later that night after Jesus just calls out Simon Peter as Satan. What's that look like when all the disciples are hanging out? What's that sound like? Like, you know, like Simon Peter, like, you know, dude, did you hear what Jesus said to me today? Yeah, dude, he calls you out of Satan, man. I know, man, really, I don't know what to do with that. And then maybe next day he's like, hey, hey, Jesus, can I get, get, get a second? Um, 
look, if you could not call me out in front of everybody, that'd be great. Because now it's like going to be in the Bible and stuff. (laughs) Or did Simon Peter start to understand his own transformation in the presence of Christ? Did he start eternalizing and changing in understanding of what Jesus needed to do, not only for Simon Peter and the disciples that he was with, but for all of us that now come and sit in this room thousands of years later. Transformation. Simon Peter was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and neither are we. But man, do we want to be perfect. Jesus is the guy, or Simon Peter is the guy in the boat. Remember, he's like, here comes Jesus walking on the water, and he's like, that is wicked cool. And then he does it, and he steps out, whunk, whunk, and he's walking. And Jesus is like, come on, man. But the minute that Simon Peter starts to develop the idea internally that his safety is in concern, right, that his security is in concern, he starts to sink a little bit, taking in the idea that Jesus can't do what Jesus said he could do or ask him to do, and he starts to sink. But it's Jesus at that point that grabs him. That's that same guy. That's that same guy. By the way, he's the CEO of what we're doing. Simon Peter is said to have asked the most questions. Asked the most questions. Always, always, always asking questions. I was hanging out with an eight-year-old this week. And boy, I tell you, man, one more question. I would have just like, shut up, please. I don't know why birds can't fly backwards. I don't know. <laughs> Imagine, right? You get it. Somebody's got an eight-year-old. It's Simon Peter that tries to cut the head off of a Roman guard trying to take Jesus. Now you're like, wait a minute, the scripture says ear. I get it, but he was swinging for the neck. He was loyal and fierce and with Jesus. Are you telling me that somebody that was embroiled with Christ, best friend, hanging out all the time, tried to cut the head off of somebody? Oh yeah, it's in there. That's this dude. That's this dude. And it's Jesus that doesn't yell at the Romans. It's Jesus that picks up the ear and puts it back on. I mean, would you have freaked out? I would have freaked out. And, you're like, and then it's Jesus that turns to Simon Peter again, constantly turning back, going, yo, it's okay. Calm down. I'm right here. You don't need to use the sword. Metaphorically, we don't need to fight anymore. Who's fighting? Who's fighting Jesus? Who's fighting for Jesus? Ooh, that's good. Who's fighting for Jesus with a sword to take somebody's neck off? Metaphorically. And then it's ultimately Simon Peter that denies him three times, and we know the story. And I'm going to cut, cut through the stuff just to say this. On the night that he goes to death, on the night that Jesus is going to be murdered, Jesus says, let's go pray in the garden. And they go pray in the garden. He brings a couple of them with him. And Jesus is so distraught that actually blood comes out of his pores. He's in such sorrow, the Bible says, that blood comes out of his pores. And he's really looking for these guys to be with him, and they fall asleep, and they fall asleep, and they fall asleep. Transformation. Transformation. Jesus doesn't scold them. He doesn't guilt them or shame them. He understands it, even in his own sorrow. That's why it's so crazy to think about what Jesus went through. 
in terms of our human understanding. So then he goes. They grab him. They take him. The whole head-cutting thing. He's locked up. He's chained up. He's about to die the most brutal death that the world's ever seen. And the only thing Simon Peter is concerned at this point is his safety and his security again. But he's still in the act of transformation. His safety and his security again. And he finds himself in a group of people so he can keep an eye on his best friend. But he's looking around now and he's like, oh man, this crowd is violent. This crowd wants blood. Not only do they want Jesus's, but they want mine. And now he gets scared. Scared to know Jesus. Scared to know Jesus. Sometimes I'm terrified to know him. Particularly in January when I stepped out again in a new ministry with three adopted kids and no cash. Terrified. Terrified. Transforming, just like Simon Peter. Just like you. Just like you. Here's the cut to the chase. said, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, talking to Simon Peter, certainly this is the dude. You were with him. You were with the Galilean. But Peter looked back and said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, as he was still speaking, the rooster, the rooster crowed, just like Jesus had said, and the Lord, this is the line I want you to get, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter we got to read this right. We have to become human in this moment. We have to enjoy our humanity enough to know what the look is all about. The look wasn't disgust from Jesus. It wasn't, I told you you'd do it, you jerk. No. The look he gives Simon Peter is nothing but love. Because he gets Simon Peter's humanity so much that he understands what he needs to do for all of us. And that's liberate ourselves from ourselves to produce fruit of love, to produce grace and mercy so great that even that moment with Simon Peter, he would still go on to build this church. He would still go on to build this church. It's amazing. What brought you here today? That's what I always ask people. Why are you still here? What brought you here? Transformation is bringing you here. The idea of new is bringing you here. The idea of love is bringing you here. The idea that you too can love like Christ has brought you here. And Simon Peter gets the full shot. And he's something else. He's something else. Of course, after he dies, he worries about what he's going to do, and they think, well, maybe we should go back fishing. And then it wasn't until the resurrection that he got it. New life again, ushering into somebody's life in transformation. And by the way, there is some gruesome activity that took place. Some gruesome activity that took place. Simon Peter's life in ministry with Christ looked gruesome. Our lives at some level with what we deal with, what we struggle with, how we do, how we don't do, look gruesome sometimes. But in the end, there's a look from Christ that I want you to see. And I hope every one of you get the look today at some point. 
I hope every day, I hope every minute of this day is encapsulated with the idea that Christ turns and looks at you all the same way. Hoping that you also understand his love for you. It's powerful. So, the problems with transformation. Why don't we, or what hinders our process of transformation? What is it? Why do we come in here and act as perfect as we can here and on Facebook and Instagram? Why do we go to the small groups and have, you know, inch-deep, mile-wide conversations? Why do we, uh, 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 you know, phone a friend and do sports news and weather instead of deep-loaded conversations that need to happen? Why is that? It's not anybody's one fault, necessarily. It is human nature to protect our security and our safety. And at this point, I tell you, it's just like my humor. My humor protects me from you getting to know me. Because I know if I make you laugh, there's a shot you'll like me. Because if I don't make you laugh, maybe there's a shot you won't like me. Protection, safety, security, all the things that are balled up in me. And I learned humor down here as a kid with an alcoholic father and a codependent mother that were at each other's throats all the time, and I knew if I made everybody laugh in the household, then the heat was off me, and the violence would go away. The problem is I kept that, and I didn't transform into love. Transforming into love for me means that sometimes I put the humor in my back pocket while I go deep with people and allow them deep with me. The same way Simon Peter found himself on the other side of denial of Christ. Exclusive theology keeps us pinned down. In other words, are our communities allowing them in and those people in? Or do we keep at bay? Do we all look the same, sound the same, dress the same, say the same things? Is our theology exclusive? That keeps people in a non-transformative understanding. Addictions keep us in a non-transformation pathway. And addictions is easy. Everybody in here has, been, been, has dealt with an addiction, either themselves or somebody else. And you know how stifling it can be. And it literally stops a person. Just like my humor can stop me from you getting to know me, loving me, and vice versa, addiction's the same way. Ego, pride, fear, no community in faith. No community in faith. In other words, you might be trans, trying to transform by yourself. You can't believe by yourself. You can't believe by yourself. You need other people. You need other people. Ultimately, it's Jesus and the rest of the disciples that pick Simon Peter back up and say, dude, we, we know you're the guy for the task. We need other people. And lack of spiritual practices, is where, which is where we're going we're gonna to go and we're going to stop after this nice little fat list that I have for you. It'll only be about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and then we'll get going. So it's lack of spiritual practices. So at the end of the day, John's going to start this study, and it's going to rock your face up, I guarantee you. The idea of spiritual practice is simple. It's Ted Williams. Ted Williams, right? You can say okay. It's okay. Okay, gotcha. Um, Ted Williams hit it, hit it out of the park. <laughs> Did you hear that? He hit it out of the park. Yeah, he had to practice, practice, practice. I say, you know, there's a guy on the planet that uh, uh, got rid of Michael Jordan on the senior Basketball team, did you know that? Michael Jordan was asked to not be on his senior basketball team. Crazy, right? Crazy, you get it? Crazy. And then Michael Jordan's the one that comes back and says, it's not, the, it's not that coach's fault, it's actually my fault. I, I just didn't put in the time, the repetition, the rote, the routine. Now, repetition, rote, and routine, 
<laughs> for the record, can't have a metric to it when we're talking about our faith. Because we don't want to get bored with repetition, discipline, and practice, and routine. Because when we get bored with it and it becomes stifled, what ends up happening is we usually create a legalistic version of said practice or discipline. And then it just becomes about the time. And if you haven't done your 20 minutes, you stink. If you haven't read your Bible, that 365-day Bible thing, every day, and you missed it on Wednesday, feel the guilt and the shame because you stink. Which is why I say, if anybody's got one of those 365-day Bibles, put it in your drawer in lieu of your inquisitiveness of your faith. And then pull it out when you have questions. And then go for it. And then I guarantee you, your study will roll into 365 days. So, I want to center on three practices for you. Three practices that are common, they are practical, and you already get them in some regard. But practices that you will build on to flow into the essence of God, the new, the love, take the burden off of being perfect, the progress rather than the perfection, and then the understanding that all of you are tied together in, in so much similarity that it's scary. Because every time I read through uh, with Simon Peter, I go, yup, mm-hmm, get it, got it, yup, absolutely, got it, 100%. Three denials of Christ, how about 150,000 denials of Christ? Get it, yes, here we go. First one, solitude. First one, solitude. So solitude for me as a spiritual director and a guy that's been on this journey for spiritual direction for the last five, five and a half years in real true essence of what it is, it's like, Solitude is a must for all of us. In other words, we need alone time with God Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. We need to center ourselves. And again, I don't put any metric on it. I don't go, hey, solitude at 20 minutes a day. You imagine that? Our crazy lifestyle, God knows we're busy. God knows we're busy, by the way. He knows we have kids and jobs. He does. He gets it. He gets it out here. He, he understands it. We're building things. We're buying things. We're, we're getting kids to college. We're, we're helping kids to do this. We're helping. He understands we're all in service. But what he truly desires is time with you. And what you desire is time with him. And that's where I want to scratch that itch. That's why you're here. That's why we do this in community. That's why we're hoping for good things every time this happens. You desire time with him. And now I'm pushing you over the top a little bit to go find and carve out time for you and him. And what can it look like practically? It can look like you driving to work, taking the train to work. It can look like you walking around the block. It can look like you sitting in a chair and doing nothing. It can look like you walking around the garden. It can look like you, I took a walk and talked to my wife yesterday outside John's house. This is a pretty little park. It's very beautiful. And I was walking and after I got off the phone with her, I hit the button, put it in my pocket and just kept walking. Listening being with him. I'm getting teary because I'm thinking about how grateful I was. Just that swell that you saw me do right there and I didn't intentionally do it, that swell was because I took time to be alone with God. And it will take some time. That's why it's practice. That's why Michael Jordan didn't hit the senior deal. And that's why Ted Williams looks right at everybody and says it takes time to do this. Second one is prayer. So we all get prayer. We all get prayer. Right? Prayer is usually look, looks like this American church. There's a Target store up in heaven. It's run by God. God's CEO, Jesus is like HR manager slash stock guy. And then Holy Spirit's like deliverer, I guess, like, like, the, like, the Amazon, like the spiritual Amazon. And then we hit our knees and we're like, I really need this financial piece. I really need 
this thing for the house. I really need, my boss is a jerk. Can you, can you give me the way to not even see him for the day? But that's not prayer at the end of the day. Yes, communicating with God is prayer. But I want to draw you into a different understanding. I want to draw you in, into presence right now as prayer. I want to draw you into that we are all prayer. As we're speaking and communicating here and in the lobby and on the phone and on the text and on faith, however we're communicating, we're actually in an act of prayer to him, to one another. We are looking for it. We are listening for it. How many people go into prayer and not talk? I'm the same way, right? I'm like, chink. Here's my list. Prayer is also the act of listening. Prayer is also the act of study. When you're reading, the essence of prayer is his very nature, is his very understanding. So wherever you are, be in that act of prayer. Whoever you're talking to, hear them, right? Hear them. Whatever you're studying, hear him. When you're driving, listening to that cool worship song, hear him. That's prayer. And then, yes, every now and then, tap into the Target store. Because it's available. Asking you shall receive is a definite part of the Bible. It's there. All contingent on your daily spiritual condition, obviously. Last one is one that I think we most need. The one that is just most in need from all of us. And I call it soul friendship. Now, that's a really bad, like we were laughing earlier. It's like I told Roddy, come up with something there. Like, soul, like, again, it's like I tell people, you need soul friendship. It just, it sounds like I'm Donnie and Marie right away. So I'm always like, well, what is this cool thing? So I really couldn't come up with a cool name, so I just kept it soul friendship. What's soul friendship? Soul friendship looks like you intimately connected in practice with one another. Whoever you came with today would be a soul friend a soul friend. But it's the idea that you're connected. You're connected in the newness, in the love, in the essence of God. You're connected in the progress rather than perfection. You're connected in the Simon Peter transformative understanding of who Christ is, was, and will always be. And that soul friend needs your big conversation. Your soul friend needs your big conversation. What are you struggling with? What's going on inside? Is it ego? Is it pride? Is it fear? Is fear stopping you from doing something and you just kick yourself every day but don't tell anybody? I work with this one guy on the East Coast and he wants so desperately to do a vlog. You all know what vlogging is? He wants to do a vlog and it just every single time he's like, dude, if I put myself out there, I think people will laugh at me. And he finally was able to tell me, I'm afraid. It took a lot for him to do that. Are you there? Is there an addiction that you need to talk about? Is there somebody with an addiction you need to talk about? Is God perplexing to you? Like, is the whole Jonah story, like, insane? A guy swallowed a... What? Wait, what? A whale? What are you talking about? That's crazy talk. Have you had that conversation with somebody? Water into wine? Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but all that stuff, that's kind of... Has somebody gotten that conversation? A soul friend. A friend who is intimately connected with you on the journey of discovery of who you are in him. Essence, love. That's what we're all doing here today. Essence and love. Solitude, find time. Don't put a metric on it. Maybe you will as you grow into it, right? Prayer, listen, listen. And soul friendship, 
get it out. Talk about the journey. Understand that you are not perfect with somebody else. It's super freeing. It's super freeing. I've got crazy accountability in my life with, with a few guys. And when we really start rubbing shoulders about the imperfection of who we are, that's when I really start to enjoy my humanity. Plus, <laughs> when you open up and you're vulnerable with people, you feel really great about who you are because you know that there is grace and love from a God much larger than you and much larger than all the things that we deal with. So practice, practice, practice. Let Simon Peter be part of your guidance on how he dealt with Christ. Allow yourself progress. Allow yourself progress. Stop beating up the body. Stop beating up the mind. Stop beating up the spirit. And allow new, allow new into your life. Transformative understanding. Pray with me, please. Father, we just take a couple seconds and just feel our body. We just want to breathe in collectively as a congregation right now and then just allow a couple seconds to feel a heartbeat. Father, we are grateful for who we are. And Lord, I know that there are a few here that probably don't share that exact sentence because things are burdening them. And Father, what I really hope is that we can take all the behavior modification stuff out of the equation in lieu of transforming into your love and understanding that that's where the mature chops of life begin and start. Thank you for Simon Peter and his unbelievable example on what humanity looks like in the face of God. Thank you for his joy and his sorrow. And thank you ultimately, Father, that he loved you and that you loved him. And then, Father, thank you for our individual calls to this place today. Thank you for the idea of why we came here, who we came with, and what we want for our own lives. And, Father, I hope that what we want for our own lives is not better, but love. I hope we want more love. And we find that through the practice of your communication. We find that in solitude. We find that in prayer. And we find that with a really great intimate friendship. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Thank you, good people, for listening. In Jesus' name we pray.